Hello. Yay. Here we go. Not cool. All right. It's Monday. Vera washed her hair and brushed her teeth. <laughs> yes, I am ready for the call now. As much as I can. What, what are you ready for? <clears throat> can you say what you're ready for? I am ready for being in the in the space of the extraordinary and in the chapter of the extraordinary with you all. <sighs> Shannon, you were in my dream last night. It was horrible. We were in Poland and you were in the Polish study group and I couldn't remember your name and you just told me and your name started with K. So it wasn't you, it was, it was, it was you had a different personality. Do, do you have any Polish ancestors or something? I am Polish, I'm a first generation American. No way, is this real? Yeah. You were my there. Parents, my, our, my mom's maiden name is Valkowiak, which ends with a K. <laughs> has, yeah it has two k's in it right so i mean wow. <laughs> my my mother was from chechnya and so her last name was stipek it has the k in it also so and and chloe just made uh what um dumplings what's it called it's called oh yeah it's not from chechnya though oh paprika soup with uh, and it's the spices from from Hungary, I guess. But I, my mother used to make it, so I thought it was from Czechia, but it's not. Anyway, the dream never resolved itself. It was one of those. So I wake up this morning and I go, "And Chloe, what's her name?" She goes, "It's Shannon." I go, "Oh God, I thought it was a K." Anyway. <laughs> oh man, life. This is why dreams never, I'm not very enthusiastic about trying to interpret the meaning of dreams for myself or anybody else. It's just a mess. That's why. Is there any, any questions or comments from the peanut gallery in terms of things you've discovered, experiments you're doing, things you want to share, anything, what's popping? Kalista. I had an experience this week um, of an, living in my gremlin and I became acquainted that that stage is my gremlin stage. Not the child ego, not the parent ego, not the adult stage, but the gremlin stage. And I'm grateful to learn about it. <laughs> That's incredible because mm -hmm. I, I told Aunt Chloe, as soon as we were done with last week, I said, you know, 
Radiant Joy Brilliant Love book does not have very much information about gremlin in it. And so I was thinking of jumping right over to the Conscious Feelings book starting right now and uh, just going through the gremlin section just to, to fill that part in. Because if we do, if we try to go into the extraordinary section without really some more in-depth gremlin stuff, I don't, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot. So it's amazing that you said that. Thank you very much. Cool. I mean, that's what I have open on the computer right now is the, the gremlin stuff. Somebody else, how's it going? What else are you working on? So I would like to share that yesterday we had a really, a very rich discussion about uh, compassion emotions, feelings, and whatnot. And uh, the topic about PM and the, and this question about the robotic nature of it came up. And it was, it was very interesting because I came to realize that just like it, it is in dance that at first you have to be robotic to learn, you know, the moves it PM can be very robotic at first in learning the tools. And then over time, as you become, begin to really embody it and really feel deeply into the, its use, then it starts to become beautiful, like a dance or like yoga, same thing, movement practice of yoga. Um, and, and it was a very challenging conversation that was, very, that was quite triggering. Um, and to sit with that discomfort and, and, and be able to move into the next space, which was an extraordinary connection between all of us was a really magical alchemical experience. Jeff, can you say what the discomfort was? Can you, can you just try to speak about that? I mean, it's so, you know, I love the high energy and the clarity and the rainbow lights and everything, but it's like, if we don't really share about the, the triggering stuff, we'll just get stuck there. So if you could share, but I think it's a very common conversation. I'd love to just hear about it. Yeah, thank you. So uh, obviously it, this has become a big part of my life, you know, it, it, the development of these tools and, the, and this work. And so when it gets challenged, um, mm -hmm. obviously it becomes you know, the, the box start, my box starts to want to really defend its position. And also um, with my partner, uh, Giselle, who's also on the call here, you know, there's, there was a, there was a, there, there comes a point where it's like, you know, cause other people are sitting around the table and they're really challenging the, 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 the work that we're doing. And so there's also this, like, there was this, this sense of like, well, wait, do you actually care about me or, and, you know, cause it, I think I, I'm, I really agree that there, that sometimes it does feel like you're, like you're being robotic and like you're, you're, you don't actually care. Um, and, you know, it was, it, it got, you know, the conversation was, was, was a little bit tense and rough. And then we, we were able to sit with it. And I, on the other side was, well, actually what we're doing here is archetypal love, which is, you know, a love that's beyond extraordinary, that's on a level of really challenging each other for each other's best interest to, to really grow into, into 
more than just extraordinary, right? Extraordinary is not enough. <laughs> it's, uh, and um, sometimes that can, that can, I mean, it is painful and sometimes it can be very painful. And sometimes when people see that, that don't have this understanding, it can seem like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a compassion less environment, but it's actually the, the opposite. And I, I guess the point is that lack of compassion and, and unconditional, like archetypal compassion can, can look very similar. And Chloe, do you wanna, and there's this thing about clarity. It's like this, because um, we were having this discussion about how, uh, we had some great term, a distinction for it, about the, the way that uh, the, this, this immense amount of clarity seems to preclude the, the warm, mushy, soft stuff of intimacy in a way. And, and Claude, can you speak about that for a minute? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, what I would, the way I call them is this, those two skills that it was really introduced in the trainer environment. But I, I yeah. think it's really a human uh, thing is there's the clarity which comes with the sword. And then there's the chocolate or the love that is this, the, the yummy stuff, like the, the connection and the creation and the collaboration. And actually the, the sword is, 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 to make better chocolate. The clarity is to make better yummy space. And so to think you're gonna have good chocolate without the clarity, then it's this ordinary adaptive, uh, everybody agrees box kind of space. And I think a lot of people are, are used to that. And when there's the clarity, and I, I, that's what I was hearing Jeff is this, that I'm committing to something else than your comfort. I'm committing to the other thing inside of you, your being, like the thing that wants to be wild, the thing that didn't have a chance to be seen. I'm committed to that. And it's scary because that thing has been, you know, in other words, like abused or bashed really since childhood and in school. And there was no space for that thing to come. So when there's an offer, people are like, find all kinds of ways to defend not showing that part of them. And then, and then they, so it's, but I just want to sort of my own check-in is that I learned, I was doing fear club and I really learned a lot in my, in my own first session of, of fear club about how I was afraid of doing something that the other people don't want. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm backing up. I'm so, I, I didn't know you didn't want that. But of course, people have different parts about what they want. So the box doesn't want to transform. The box doesn't want to be challenged. The box, and, and then for me to really learn, okay, I'm actually committing to another part of them that wants something else. And to, for me to really make this distinction, and I was just in a call with a, a woman and God, I was really afraid because she, she was really uncomfortable. Like she was really scared and sad and, and I, but I really could stay in silence with her because I was committed to this, this other thing. And I was loving this other thing and, and with the sword cutting the, cutting the extra shit apart. And, and so this, is, this was really a great example for me to be in my own fear 
and, and commit to the being, like commit to the love, commit to that part. Thank you. You're muted, Clinton. Yeah, I've, Jeff, I felt just inspired by, you know, that you just mentioned that it's a dance because, uh, and it's funny because recently, and Chloe and I were on a, a conference and we used the dance in the title, the word dance. Do you remember the title, and Chloe? It was the dance of something. Dance into inclusion. The dance of inclusion, mm -hmm. yeah. And say, okay, and half the people came to the, to the talk because we had the word dance in the title. <clears throat> and so there's something so natural. So, so we did at the end, we're going, okay, this is that, you know, we did this online dance together. We can do that here too. But um, it, it was, I'm, I'm telling you this because a, a number of you are doing online stuff with people and you have to give the thing a title that gets through the defense strategy to bring a person into a space where something other is going to learn something, you know, a deeper part can learn something, but you have to get through the mind and get through the considerations for them for them to come. And at the same time, it's, it's a totally accurate uh, description of the, the sort of five body play that we're being invited to engage first as uh, a beginner and that later on also as a beginner you know it's like uh, in the possibility management the beginner's mind is is uh it ne it's never intended to go away we don't offer any form of certification or mastery this is not a training in any kind of mastery it's a a training in basically being amazed and improvising. It's like that. It's like there's you're not going to get beyond being and improvising. And if and if you're amazed while you're improvising, then there's this magical elements that can come in because of the awe, because of the absolute awe about what what's possible. And 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 the um the like and Chloe was saying the complexity of negotiating transformation with an, a creature that has so many parts that are defended against transformation. And, and um, even 20 year spiritual students, you know, are probably more well defended against transformation than almost anybody on the planet except school teachers, as far as I know. <clears throat> but um, it's just this dance part that, uh, I, I don't know, we watched uh, this film called Around the World in 80 Days, this or original version with David Niven or somebody, I forget who it is, um, who's, the, who's the actor and they spend all this time in Spain, which was such an exotic country to the Americans back then, but it was, um, they had this flamingo dancer. It took like 15 or 20 minutes of the film of this flamingo guy dancing this flamingo dance up on the table. Um, and, it, and it turned out that, it, you know, that it's about this form and formlessness, this, this um, paradox between form and formlessness, because without the distinctions, there's not enough clarity in the space to, to, to build, um, 
the possibility of, of evolution. There's, you need the distinctions. And, and yet at the same time, there needs to be this the formlessness, the flow, you know, the, the flow of, of energy moving through and possibility and the bright principles. So you need the distinctions, plus you need the bright principles, you need the structure and the magic, you need the form and the formlessness. And a lot of times we make the distinction of phase one and phase two of things in possibility management. One time we made a map that was so dense you could hardly read it about the phase one and phase two of everything. And the thing is, it's just like you said that until you get phase one, you cannot do phase two, even though phase two is what you really want. So when, so basically we can't even start talking about phase two because it sounds so attractive or so fascinating. And yet, if you don't, if you don't have the distinction, mad, sad, glad, and scared, the difference between feelings and emotions, if you're not on the new thought map of feelings, if you're not, if you don't have some initiations into adulthood, there is nowhere to start in phase two, absolutely nowhere. And so I would, I'm still touched from last week where we had this sharing from many people about how much unfolded in us simply through this time of, of digging through the underworld shit, of digging, facing into the un, our unconsciousness, the parts, the things that we didn't know that we didn't know about, and to face into those, and how much how, how much that benefited us in our daily interactions and daily world, the kind of practical clarity that came out of these heavy-duty discussions we've been having, and so uh, that's why it really inspired me to jump into the gremlin. Does somebody want to share anything else right now before we start? Hi, Clinton. It's Hi. Michelle. Hi. Yeah, uh, I had fear to share what I'm going to share. And between Jeff's conversation and your conversation and Anne Chloe's conversation, I'm ready. Um, so your work regarding game worlds and let's create something new as opposed to struggling with what exists has become a reality with me this I'm in Puerto Morelos, Mexico. Some of you guys know there's a lot of ceremonies happening here with plant medicine. People go into altered states of consciousness and I open the space for integration work using PM for when people come out of ceremony. I've also done a lot of research in ceremony myself and kind of seeing and kind of gauging and scanning what is happening. And what I noticed uh, was a lot of dogma around it. No touch, no screaming, no yelling, no showing feelings because you'll disturb the other person. And it made me very, very sad because it was an ideal scenario for that. So I decided to, actually, I didn't even decide. Echo decided for one of the ladies to call me that I had done a integration work with. She called me and she said, I want you to run a mushroom ceremony and guide us in a mushroom ceremony. And I did, I decided to do this because she asked and I said, yes. And I did it on Friday and it was 13 of us. And I used a new game world where I used the tools from PM ahead of time, feelings map, numbness bar, five bodies. Then 
guided a ceremony with my own energy and singing and just magic happened. And it was the most beautiful, magical space of people connecting and joy filled the room. All 13 of us were just laughing and all 13 of us were just also connected and hugging and affectionate. And it was such a free space. And the only rules I gave them was out of you guys saying, the only rules are don't hurt yourself and don't hurt others. And the reason I had fear to share this in the space is because the dogma's everywhere, right? And there's rules and things and, and this is plant medicine. And, and I did it and I'm sharing and I'm very happy. And now I have 15 more people wanting to have a new ceremony. I have another one planned on the 12th. <laughs> and I'm just immensely grateful for the magic and the matrix and all of you. And this, this is really big and so healing. I'll share some of the messages, if that's okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, there was a guy there from India, a spiritual student of 20 years. He was so tightly wound and, you know, in this lotus position. And it was very hard for him to get out of that box. And he couldn't, he had no joy. He wanted joy. And he was sharing, I'm so uncomfortable. I don't, I don't feel right here. Anyway, I coached him through it and, when, and he got into the joy piece. And then he would step out and go into his lotus position. And it was so sad. Just what you said. Very yeah. hard for him. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. We're all edge workers in this call, so it's not a surprise that you're called to do that edge work. I've been called to do it. People have asked me to do it in Portugal, and I refused. So. Somebody else knocks on my door. Now I know who I can send them to. So <laughs> don't be surprised if you get some referrals. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It means a lot that you that you shared that right now. I was waiting, had fear around around that. Thank you, Clinton. Yeah. Thank you. Any? Does somebody else have something? Yeah, Mia. I also have fear of sharing because, um, but I'm going to go ahead and share. So I apologize if I am triggering anybody for taking up too much space. Um, but I also want to share about going into an archetypal space that I had. So I went back to um, Utah and to the sacred space in Utah with my younger brother and his um, boyfriend who's 22. And um, it's a, it was so a portal into sacred land. It was just an archetypal Gaia experience. And it was 
Um, so there's a temple there made out of rocks that have fallen. And this temple is, was um, so super transformative for my brother. It went from death to rebirth. And then the way the rocks are, you walk from one area to the other. So there's that temple space there and it, there's a yoni there, there's a womb there. And there's like a, almost like a, a, a womb within a womb. And then also in another space, and there's a river down below it. And there's a Dolores is the river and Dolores is there. Um, and then there's also in another area at the end of this huge bluff is a throne. And so we hiked up to the throne and it's where the rock just gets really flat. And it was the place I didn't go to last time because I had too much fear. And so I had three men with me and we went up to the throne and once we got to the throne, I thought that was the final destination. And then my brother's 22 year old boyfriend climbed up to this rock that was just above the throne. And then my brother and I hiked up further. And when we looked at him, he was sitting in a heart throne that was just up from the fat flat throne. So the heart was shaped, the rock where he was sitting was another throne that was in the shape of a heart. And one side of the heart had wings and then a rock further down had a wing. And he was just sitting in the throne. And it was like, I said to him, this is your initiation into adulthood because he's 22 and my brother's 46 and there's a huge age difference and there's all this. So it was, um, yeah. And it was just absolute awe and just this portal into Gaia and archetypal experience that I just wanna share with all of you because I wanna take you all there. <laughs> That's all, so thank you. And what was interesting is I, I brought them there and, and this land is so sacred that I felt like I had to tell them to put their gremlin on a leash. And um, I don't know if you can all still hear me, but I, had, I, I wanted to prepare them. And I said, listen, this is really sacred land. And so please be respectful and, you know, and, and, and really approach this with a lot of respect. So it was like, put your gremlin on a leash and, and let's honor this land. So thank you for listening. Thank you. Can everybody take a deep breath so we can shift this space? We're just gonna shift into a space that connects right into what Mia was talking about, about gremlin. And I just wanna start reading the basic gremlin distinctions. And it doesn't take too long to get into the pretty, pretty uh, confrontive stuff, the part of us being so in, enmeshed in our gremlin. But let me just start here. So I'm in the Directing the Power of Conscious Feelings book. I'm around page 69. You don't have to read along, but I just wanted to let you know. It's talking about low drama and gremlin. Since you have a body, you actually do have feelings, meaning 
whether or not you're aware of them, whether or not they're conscious or unconscious, your body is having the feelings. Bodies have feelings. But since it is not okay, this is the thoughtware part, if it's not okay to feel, you're in a bit of a bind. What are you to do with all this feeling energy? Coursing through your nervous system if you're not permitted to admit that you feel, how should you manage to stay unconscious of your feelings to give the appearance of being civilized? What happens with all the energy tied up in your unconscious feelings? The answer to these questions is not generally known in modern culture. The answer is a radical piece of information. The answer is that the energy of your unconscious feelings feeds your gremlin through low drama. Uh, just in terms of the page, I'm working from uh, a manuscript that could have been re-edited. So I'm just working from, it's, a, it's approximate, it's just under the old map of feelings map, if you can find that. The answer is that the energy of your unconscious feelings feeds your gremlin through low drama. What is low drama? Low drama is any action designed to avoid responsibility. What is gremlin? Gremlin is the part in each of us that thrives on low drama. So it's just that straightforward. The map of low drama distinguishes three roles that are played out in any dramatic interaction. The three roles are the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer, each role being a servant of the gremlin. Here in the book, it says an aspect of the gremlin, but if you go archetypal into the underworld, actually each character is a servant, um, like a slave or kind of a demon, a creature, that serves the gremlin. Low drama is the unconscious expression of feelings. <clears throat> the most powerful position in low drama is the victim. The victim's power is clear. If no one plays the role of victim, there can be no low drama. So, so this is an amazingly powerful distinction because if you refuse to play victim, there is no low drama. So no matter what's happening to you, you sip a hot cup of coffee and burn your tongue. Well, I'm not a victim. You know, somebody, I lose my wallet. Well, I'm not a victim. You know, and so uh, somebody steals my car. I'm not a victim. You know, you know, you can go on and on with all kinds of horrible things. Uh, and if you refuse to play victim, there is no low drama. It cannot be played out. And so much of modern culture, the whole legal system, the whole judicial system, the, is all based on some concept of justice or that it, it's, it's based on the, the concept that it's possible to be a victim. This could be a superstition. The idea that it's possible to be a victim could be a superstition that has not yet been recognized as a superstition. So when something is not yet recognized as a superstition, it's perceived 
as the truth or as reality. So as ridiculous as it sounds, the thing about the, the black cat and walking under a ladder and breaking a mirror and all those things, those things for, for quite some time apparently were not seen as superstitions and so they were, they were believed as true. So, and then, and, but a superstition only becomes a superstition when you see that it's a superstition. Before then, it's the truth. So being a victim, I think, is in the realm of one of those superstitions that has not yet uh, made the shift. But you, that doesn't have to stop you from making the shift yourself. So the victim is the one who sets the stage for the persecutor to persecute and the rescuer to rescue. A skilled victim can make a persecutor or a rescuer out of anybody. I think you know what I'm talking about. All the victim needs is one small piece of evidence to prove that a person is hurting them and they can evoke a persecutor. It was in your tone of voice. You didn't even look at me. You should have been more human. You did not say goodbye when you left. You didn't wait for me. Like all these subtle things can be evidence to prove that somebody is a persecutor. All the victim needs is one tiny reason to give away responsibility for themselves and they've, and they've created a rescuer. I don't know how to do it. Somebody rescues you. I'm so overwhelmed. Somebody rescues you. Well, you are better at this than I am. You know, I don't have enough time. I can't find it. I can't figure this out. I've been working so hard. My feet hurt. I'm so tired. Then a rescuer comes along. So the, the, the things we're talking about here are so invisibly woven into our day-to-day -day interactions that when, when you do the, when you slow the interaction down and pull out the game that's going on, that's when people, people's gremlins flash up and go, you're so cold. You, you don't wanna play low drama with me. You're not even human, you know, so it's, this is, and it's an amazing, it's so, it's like a, it's a drug addiction situation. The low drama is so intense and so passionate and so full of drugs and chemicals in our body and so much, the dance of low drama is so well known that to shift out of the gameplay of the low drama and still stay present to still stay in connection with people while refusing to dance the low drama thing is shocking for people. It is a shocking thing. So, so there's even ways to dance that. There are ways to slide sideways out of a low drama invitation into another space without triggering the, t the horror of, of the drug addict not getting a fix from you. You know, basically for a while, I would look at people and I say, go get your hit somewhere else. Go get your, go shoot up somewhere else. I'm not available to do the drugs with you. And so this is phase one, you know, this is the, 
This is the beginning phase. It was not very elegant, however effective it was, but um, the, it does work. And so you, you may start there in terms of working with this. But I think the reason I wanted to read all this with you guys before we do the extraordinary is the distinctions right now that we're talking about have so much uh, practical use in day-to-day -day interactions that, and, they, and at the same time, they crack open the, the, um, the game. It's a meta conversation. If you don't have the meta conversation of what kind of conversation are, are we having here? What is your offer? Is it a high drama offer or a low drama offer? That is a conversation about the kind of conversation that's being had. That creates such possibility to have a conversation about the conversation. But if you don't have the clarity, if you don't have the maps, and if you don't have the chutzpah, that's a word that I learned from Phyllis, if you don't have the chutzpah to, to go nonlinear and say, hey, you know, I'm what kind of what kind of what kind of offer are you making to me? I don't accept. I want to make a different kind of offer. Um, then it will just play out low drama because it's it's just it's just uh, the way. That's the ordinary culture out there. One particularly pernicious sort of victim is the victim who does ostensibly responsible things, but does them as a victim. So they're doing a responsible looking thing, but, but it's really a victim thing. This is when you take out the garbage, which looks like a responsible thing to do, but you don't, you don't truly choose to take out the garbage for the sake of taking out the garbage. You're taking it out as part of a game. You take out the garbage because no one else is doing it, because somebody has to do it because it hasn't been taken out for a really long time. You get the idea, you get all these reasons. This sort of victim is called a responsible victim. Quote unquote, responsible victim. I'll stay late, I'll get the job done, I'll finish the report, I'll get, you know, I'll get it together. You know, but, but then you know what's gonna happen in the morning? I'm gonna tell everybody, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get revenge for this. I get a payback for this. So, so it's like, then while you're taking out the garbage, you can run low drama conversation in your whole mind. You can take a kicked dog attitude. You can take on a kicked dog attitude. You've been a kicked dog. You just go, you start building up a charge about the whole thing. It's not really my job. I did it last week. I always have to take out the garbage. I have other things to do too. And then you march back in with the empty garbage can and your hungry gremlin, and you use your fresh victim story to find and persecute the person whose job it really was to take out the garbage. Where have you been all week? Why do you always avoid your responsibilities? Do you think I don't have other things to do? Blah, blah, blah. This is a glorious time for Gremlin. So you can also use your victim story to get sympathy from some willing rescuer. You know, it wasn't my job, you see, but I thought I could help out a little. So I took out the stinking garbage can full of fish scraps and chicken fat and the grease got all over my new pants. Look at that. 
my good pants are ruined and it was raining outside and I slipped in the mud, but the neighbor's dog had been over there in the yard. So it wasn't really mud that I slipped in. It was something else. I mean, do you know anyone who has ever been a responsible victim before? That's the question. Do you know anybody who's been, anybody know anybody who's been a responsible victim before? <laughs> I mean, the first time I ever heard this distinction about the responsible victim, I was in some German, small German town where this trainer guy, Jim Zarvos was explaining it and I did not understand it. My, my thought where it was set up so it, I couldn't understand what a responsible victim was. And it was lunchtime. And so we'd already ordered lunch and we were walking to the restaurant. So I, I just talked to Jim the whole way over. Like it was four or five or six blocks to the restaurant. And by the time I got to the restaurant, the distinction landed in my body. And I realized that my whole life I had been playing out responsible victim. And I, I sat there and cried tears into my shrimp curry and in a pineapple, it was a Thai restaurant and they slice open a pineapple, you know, and put shrimp curry in. I just cried in that thing until I couldn't even eat it. It was just, it was, I wasted the whole thing. But uh, it's this big thing. It's really a big thing to get this thing. So, um, any comments right now? Otherwise I'm gonna go into gremlin feeding time. Does anybody want to say anything? I got to do a... Um, oh. Go ahead, Leslie. I got to do a resentment process um, and, and like completely uncover all of the, the responsible victim that I had been carrying towards somebody, you know, that they were, they were obviously the persecutor. And uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was such a relief to notice it and let it go. And it was embarrassing and it was painful. And I'm so glad I got a chance to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Nicole, you had your hand up? Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm looking at that kind of like really subtle place between the refusal to be a victim and the refusal to feel the sadness of a child part that's been kind of like triggered by the circumstances that I, I could decide I was a victim in. And I wondered if you could talk about that. There's a big difference between grief and feeling sorry for yourself. So the victim has this poor me thing going on. You know, the, the persecutor says, I'm okay. You're not okay. I will get rid of you. So you, you can think of various military persecutors, famous persecutors in the world, you know, probably your dad. Anyway, and uh, uh, Ramona, can you turn that off? Thank you. Good. And the, the 
the victim said, I mean, the, the rescuer says, I'm okay, but you're not okay, which is exactly the same as the persecutor. I'm okay, you're okay, but I, I'm afraid you can't do it yourself. So I'm gonna do it for you. And so both of these are, are almost identical in terms of the lack of respect for the victim. Whereas the victim has this thing going on of, I'm not okay, poor me. And then it's like, but you made me that way. So the, this thing about the victim me, poor me thing is, is different from grief in that grief is a, a necessary part of a transition process of becoming more aware. It's an identity shift. Grief is part of an identity shift where you, one part of you is dying. So you, you're grieving the loss of this part of you. In, in this case, the child part it was not heard or not, it was, you know, that's where you're reminded of uh, a child part that was not respected and you, and you there's this way of owning it. You can own uh, the, the child part in yourself and include it in yourself. But that includes a, a, the old way that you were is changing because now you're including this whole child part where it wasn't included before. It was rejected or suppressed or forgotten. So, and that's very different from the, I'm, I'm not okay, I'm gonna get back at you. Revenge kind of thing. It's a pre prelude to revenge. Were you talking about that, Nicole, or was it something else? Yeah, that, that really helps me because um, I'm seeing that maybe something that's happened for me in the past is that in, in being on the new map of feelings and allowing myself to feel grief, that someone who wasn't able to hold space for that because maybe they were on the old map of feelings decided that I was playing a victim in order to manipulate or, or something. And then I started getting accused of playing victim when what I thought I was doing was authentically feeling the, the grief that, that this child part has that these circumstances had given rise to. And, and I, I think I've often got stuck there because then I do start making up a victim story that I'm now the victim of their like making me a victim even though I I'm not like from my perspective I'm not taking the victim role um, but then I kind of start taking it because poor me this person doesn't understand me and isn't able to hold space for me and and now I'm at loose ends. I mean thanks for bringing this up because we're actually all of us here on this call, I mean, everybody working with possibility management is in this situation. And it, I don't, it will sound arrogant, but almost, there's almost no context in the world that has this much clarity about this kind of stuff. And so there's almost nowhere you can go where you don't have more clarity than everybody else about this kind of stuff. And so having myself been through enough of those situations exactly as you're, as you're describing them, where uh, somebody trained in psychotherapy or psychoanalysis or some, some other mode who doesn't have the distinctions and tries to apply their 
their technology, you know, to fix me, to, to repair me. It's almost like somebody who's mixing anger and sadness together, feeling emotion, feeling depression, and the, the natural response from the therapeutic uh, doctors is to give them drugs, brain drugs, antidepressant drugs. Whereas we would just go, okay, take a deep breath. I want you to separate your anger from your sadness. You know, take your fingers and put it inside your chest and step, you know, we just, there's a completely different relationship to it. So uh, I have had to apply a certain arrogance about not giving a shit about what other people are, are, are thinking about what's going on for me. And um, I would, I would suggest maybe you need to do that too. You just, you're at the point where uh, you, you've got a better understanding of what's going on in terms of the internal navigating, the inner navigating. And you just, you just have to kind of forgive the people. You know, just put that bubble around yourself, your center, your grounding cord, your bubble, and you just say, thanks, I'll get back to you in 15 or 20 minutes and we can talk later but right now I need a little space and I'll handle this. And you just, you know, you have to protect yourself in a way from the caveman's club because you're, you're using fine uh, transformational instruments and the two don't mix really well. <clears throat> so, but it, and it feels like arrogance. It feels like a kind of superiority or arrogance. Well, what are you gonna do? You know, what do you, you um, it's not the time to give them a, a workshop on the old thought map of feelings and the new thought map of feelings. You know, it's time for you to go through your grief. So you just hold a space for yourself and go through it. And I, th I think each of us now is licensed to have that degree of arrogance right now, because what we'll do is it'll start an interesting conversation. Afterwards, you can you can have an interesting conversation. Okay, well, hey, what was that? What, what is it that was really going on? And then you can have a meta conversation, a, a big picture conversation. You can throw in some questions. What's your thought map for how to deal with emotional reactivity? Here's the website called Reactivity that has a huge number of distinctions on it. Let's talk about this. What do you think? You know, there's, you have some, there's materials around that reminds me to tell you that tomorrow the startover.xyz game goes live. Tomorrow we turn on the matrix uh, uploading platform. So we've been, Vera's been working with us and Chloe, we've been really, Georg who's not on the call, we've been, we've been kicking our butts getting this thing together. You know, it's, there's still tons of websites that don't have enough experiments on or enough uh, data on or maps, whatever. It will still be building over the next few years. But the, the place where we can put up uh, the matrix points from all the experiments we've been doing is going live tomorrow. And Chloe. Yeah, I want to, uh, something about a website that is not done and also about uh, Gremlin. And it's a website that's called Decontamination. And I've just started working on it. And it's not in any book, this distinction about contamination of the adult ego state with 
the gremlin ego state or the child ego state or the parent ego state because it's a discovery that we've discovered really or had clarity about it and the process of decontamination like the healing process i think about a year and a half ago that it started and we've been really learning it's really a research journey and a number of people on this call i know are on this uh healing and research journey about decontaminating but i think it's bigger than we ever thought that as a survival strategy as a child you've decided to enmesh your adult ego state with a grim, your gremlin ego state because we're talking about gremlin but it's also can be the child or the parent as a way of protecting yourself so that every time you were now as a quote-unquote adult or on the growing up path every time you want to make a move from your adult place the gremlin is already there it's already there in the in the mix bringing it its spin its purpose its tone of voice it's and and it can be very confusing without this distinction because you you're trying to make an, uh, an adult offer and the result is low drama or the result is separation or the result is competition or and you might not get it that it's like your gremlin is there all the time it's there all the time and the, so there's a whole process, a year-long, maybe a year and a half-long process that is to be done with a buddy because if your gremlin is enmeshed at like 80%, 90% maybe in your adult, there's very, your adult part is, is small. Like the, the part of you that wants to take a stand for decontaminating is small. And so it really helps to have a buddy who can commit to that part and keep talking to that part and, and doing that work. And it's the process, I'll sort of say it really fast here. There's a map on the website. The process is not yet on the website. Um, I think there's also a proposal maybe from uh, Vera and Sofia Magdalena to do a, a whole Q&A uh, talk about how, how to decontaminate and, and the questions around that. And so anyway, it's, it's a part of when you notice one behavior like that, that is in your adult ego state is you catch it, you pause, you catch it with your intention and you put it in the right, the correct ego state. And it's, it's not bad and it's not wrong. And there's no, it's not about beating yourself up, but it's okay. You, you're in the wrong place. You're just in the wrong place. And so with your intention, you put it in the correct ego state and you hold it there for about a minute and you keep breathing, and then you start again the conversation or the move or the gesture that you were doing from this even small part of your adult. And, and one behavior can be one week, two weeks, maybe even a month long until that behavior is not part of the adult ego state anymore. And then when that's done, you do the, sec the other behavior. I just wanted to throw that in. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> how many people, how many of you guys are in the middle of this decontamination process or, or have started it anyway? Could you put your hands up so people can see? So Jeff, Tatiana, Pontus, Nastasia, Habet, who else? Mia, good, Devin, yeah, Nicole, yeah, great. So 
and, and, and Gisela, thank you. So the reason I'm, I'm telling you, the reason uh, I wanted you to see people's hands was in case you start. Because like, and Chloe said, you really need a, a buddy. You really, it really helps to have somebody to collaborate with along there because your own good intentions, your own willpower is not enough. It is not enough. You really need an ally <clears throat> to go on the journey with you. And because they can hold the distinctions, you know, they can, they can kick you in the butt a little bit. They can really, it just helps really helps. It's even better when you live, when you live with that buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys are lucky. That's great. <laughs> yeah, great. I want to do that since weeks. Yes. I want to start. Uh, Lisa Favero just flagged that she wants to do it too. Maybe you and Lisa could do it. In Ingrid, you and Lisa. Yes. Yeah, great. Cool. I also need a buddy. Annie, okay. on somebody want to be in that you guys this is a, a year and a half for X. it's a ride so anybody want to go on the ride with Annie Annie Devin said let's I see Devin Callista. yeah yeah Callista, you're in you want to do this Callista. Somebody else, Nicole, you and Callista. Okay, cool, K, somebody with K. Who's, who's up, Leslie, Leslie and K. And Christina and Phyllis. Christina, did you feel, you, Phyllis, did you see Christina was doing it? <clears throat> I wanna do it too. Phyllis and Christina, yes, yeah, she wrote it in the chat. Okay. And Tatiana, Tatiana and Mia. If it's that long a time, then we better get going. You are right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ingrid, go ahead. I have a question. Is it possible that you and Chloe do an instruction call so that all the people which are new to that, uh, that we could share how, how it will function? The offer is Miss um, Vera Franco on the call and Sofia Magdalena, they have been through the process. And so they're really clear about, and, and I think they will, offer, they will offer that. Okay, thank you. So Vera, is it, a, is it a call or is it a video or is it both? You're just gonna record a call? I'm gonna, we're gonna have a call with Q&A and we're gonna record it. Great. Publish it. We'll put that on the website too then. Super, so you'll announce it. It's gonna be great. You'll announce it. Say it again, Vera. Sophia Magdalena was just shouting, it's gonna be great. <laughs> okay. And then I'm um, gonna, yes. Yes, you announce it in the, on the chat yes. platform on the WhatsApp. Okay, cool. Do you know about when that would happen? In two weeks. Okay. Uh, okay, that's it. Your gremlin can run wild for another two weeks and then it's over. Okay. <laughs> that's what I was going, okay, next week, next week. <laughs> better, that's better. Yeah. <clears throat> that's better. 
Was there anybody else we missed who was still looking for a buddy? Because this is fantastic the way the pairs are coming out. Was there somebody else who wanted to jump on the boat before it leaves the harbor? Joseph. Joseph? Who who is there somebody else who would do that with Joseph? Shannon. Sh Shannon. Uh, great. Okay. This is fantastic. Bruce, you have your hand up? Yeah, Bruce. Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Hey, buddy. So uh, somebody want to do this with Bruce? Somebody, somebody else have their hand up? Uh, and Chloe, what do you think about groups of three? Does that work or not? Mm, I mean, one person can work with two different people. The thing is, it really helps that the buddy is also going through the process. This is like a yeah. both people are doing it. That it's not a a coach position. Yeah. So and I mean, there's all the the whole WhatsApp group. So if um, Bruce, you can okay. also ask in the WhatsApp group. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, Bruce. So just grab grab the next one, okay? Vera, what are you gonna say? Tenth of December. Five. 10th of December. Yes. Thursday the 10th, 5 p.m. GMT, which is the same time as the study group, but on Thursday. Great. Okay. Great. Thank That's you. What happened. All right, super. Yay. We are handling some technical details. Well, I'll share. I just had a gremlin moment right now while I was. Uh... So my, uh, I have my apartment in Miami is, uh, my lease is up today and there's someone that's helping me move everything out. And my cousins were gonna come pick up some paintings that my, they're from my grandmother. And um, I guess they were just gonna take two and there were several others. And um, I, she, she has a big pickup truck and I wanted her to take it and she didn't want to. And so I said, I said, don't worry about it. I'll just ask, uh, my roommate to throw them in the trash. And I re realized that I was just trying to make her feel shitty about not taking the paintings. And um, I just took ownership for it and 
did ha I asked for a do-over, which is nice for me. Thank you. Okay. Which I is speaking is a question that creates a meta conversation that is very, on one hand confrontive, on the other hand, extremely useful that I found. I just wanna read this part in the book. It can be quite enlightening to be careful when you use the word I. This is because your box has parts. When you are meticulous about your use of the word I, you gain experiential clarity that your box has more than one I, each with its own purpose and style. So as an experiment, which I would encourage us to do this week, is to use your beat book and try to distinguish experientially and name, give a name to your various eyes. The, the last time I did it, I was up to 18 different eyes, each with its own name, its own purpose, its own style, its own uh, like motivation. And um, so I really encourage you to just do it. Go to the back of your beat book, open up a page, my various identities, and, and even it's a great conversation to have with other people is to sit down with them and go, you know, sometimes I'm this way and sometimes I'm another way. I want, here's these identities that I've figured out so far. Can you help me? Can you give me examples of a, of a few different ones? So this is an amazing uh, experiment to do for um, map, an inner map of who's got, the, who's got the steering wheel? Who's got the steering wheel in this moment? Who's driving? I mean, the thing with your gremlin is if you're driving down the road and in the seat next to you, you can see your gremlin sitting next to you in the seat, then you're driving. But if you're driving down the road and you don't have your gremlin sitting next to you in your car, guess who's driving your car? Guess who's going five to 10 kilometer miles per hour faster than the speed limit? Guess who's cursing out you know, the other drivers who cut in front of you? Get, you know, guess like that. Guess who's racing the guy who comes next to you in a BMW and you're, you're in a Mazda and you want to prove that the Mazda is better than the BMW, you know, this is not you driving, this is your gremlin driving. So that's simple, but we, you, we have more parts than this. And so it's, it's a fascinating and very important, I think, uh, experiment to do is to try to map out and document the, your eye, the various eyes that you have that, can, that are showing up. And the, the point is when you do an identity shift, from one eye to a different eye, it's, it's like going through a doorway. And, and it, what happens when you go through a doorway is you get put asleep. You, for, you forget that you're going from one space to another space. It's like, so the shift of one identity to another identity is hard to detect because we're, we're identified. Identified means there is no other 
ideas, attitudes, and behaviors than the ones that I have now. There's no other reality than the one I have now. That's called identification. I am, this is what it is. I am that thing. This is how it goes. And then you're in, you go through a door frame, you're in another space entirely. And, and, in, and in that space, there's a new identity. And the new identity says, no, 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 this is how it is. It doesn't even say no. It doesn't, there's nothing to fight against. It's just you're now identified with the new thing. And you don't know there was a shift. I mean, I told, we talked about it before. You can see this happen when you're talking to somebody and their phone rings and they answer their phone and it's their kids or their mom or, or somebody, and their whole face changes, their voice changes, their, behavior, their posture changes, everything changes. And then you go, who's that? Who is that creature talking on the phone? And then the phone is over, they turn back and they're the one who they are when they talk to you. So if, did you ever see that happen? Everybody ever see that happen? So that's what I mean by identity shift. So guess who else does that? It's, we do that. So we do it, but the, the mobile, the, the smartphone has given us a chance to really see it happen. So when you're talking about which I is speaking, <clears throat> soon you will discover <clears throat> that you live in a rapidly changing circus of eyes. I am a man, I am a father, I'm a computer programmer, I'm a husband. I'm a scuba diver. I'm an artist. I am Taoist, Orisha, Muslim, Rasta, Shinto, Baha'i, Sufi. I am fill in the blank. <clears throat> There's this, I was just uh, working with a, a talk script from uh, Lee Lozowick, and he was telling a story about uh, a, a Buddhist uh, Buddhist teacher and he's at the Buddhist teacher is at giving a talk and the Buddhist teacher says um, how, somebody asked a question how come there's how come there's how come uh, in the Buddhism you only think that men can be enlightened and the Buddha and the teacher goes there are no enlightened women and, and these women in the talk come up to him and they go, they're just pissed off. They're just completely pissed off. He goes, what do you mean there's no enlightened woman? <clears throat> and, the, and the teacher looks at her and goes, oh, so you're a woman. Meaning that she was completely identified with this whole feminine worldview. It makes her not a Buddhist anymore. She's a woman instead of a Buddhist. So that's what we mean by identities. Like the identities, you just push this button and the, you know, the put the hook in, you're just hooked. This whole, this whole other channel, it's like having a channel changer. And so that's what we mean by which I is speaking. So I hope that you do this. As each particular I takes over, you slip into identification with that I as if this is the only possible I that you could be. You easily assume that you are a single I when in fact you are a committee. Actually, what I say now is you are a zoo. You can observe this easily in another person. Okay, we just talked about that when the phone rings. Okay, 
Admit it or not, it is still true. Within you is a complex underworld ecology of characters and the roles to play out. And it's unconscious. Lording over them all is your gremlin, the king or queen of your shadow world. Low drama is so exciting, we think that it is life. Whatever part of your gremlin you do not consciously own, owns you. So that's what, that's what we're talking about. When you can, when we're diving in the underworld and we're taking radical responsibility for the ownership of sourcing these different qualities of our gremlin in our shadow world, we're owning it. You're taking responsibility for it. You're possessing it. Any part that you don't own, owns you. That means that the unconscious parts behave in the way that they behave without you having a choice about it. You do not get to have a choice about it because it's unconscious. So the point of this, in particularly in relationship, is to get choice about what you're creating. To get choice about what you're creating. Gremlin will feed himself on every part of your life that you do not restrict him from feeding on. The process of becoming more and more conscious of the deeds and intentions of your own gremlin may constitute the most painful experience of your life. After a while, you may come to agree that it is better to know the painful truth about yourself than to remain a deluded victim of your gremlin's unconscious intentions. <clears throat> Can you read that again, please, Clinton? Yeah. The process of becoming more and more conscious of the deeds and intentions of your own gremlin may constitute the most painful experience of your life. After a while, you may come to agree that it is better to know the painful truth about yourself than to remain a deluded victim of your own gremlin's unconscious intentions. So there was an example before in the book given about bumping your leg on a chair. So suppose you bump your knee on a chair and your gremlin is hungry for a low drama. Using the chair as his opportunity for a meal, your gremlin takes on the low drama role of victim. If, if your gremlin can find the evil person who put that chair in your way so that you bump your knee on it, then the gremlin has proved that this person persecuted you. And then the gremlin feels justified changing roles in the low drama and getting revenge by persecuting the persecutor who sabotaged your whole life by putting that chair in the way of your knee. I think you get the picture of how this goes. This is a very practical, everyday kind of thing going on. Only a hungry gremlin will accept being put in the role of persecutor in someone else's low drama. 
I need to read that again. You know, you guys are you guys are trainers. You guys are space holders. You guys hold processes for people. You are a good target. You are a good target for people to try to make you into a persecutor. This happens to me so often. It's a, it's a, it's humorous. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. The, uh, people uh, will try to pick you out as a good target. You know. The space holder is the persecutor, you know, the one that is so, but the thing is only a hungry gremlin will accept the of being put in the role of persecutor in someone else's low drama. So if they, if they try to tell you, hey, you just attacked me. Hey, you just, you just uh, did politically incorrect LGBTQ, whatever, whatever it is. You know, you said it the wrong way. You said her instead of him or it or them or whatever. And, and you know, you're hurting me. If, you're hung, if your gremlin is hungry, you will bite. You will go for it. I, I wasn't doing that. Blah, 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 blah. You're hooked. You're, you're in the thing. You know, the real answer is, gosh, I'm sorry. My gremlin is not hungry enough to, let, to, to, to believe that I'm the persecutor in your low drama. Just sorry, you gotta you gotta go find somebody else. So that's uh you just have to memorize the line. You know, sorry, my gremlin, my gremlin's not. It's just not hungry enough to accept being put in the persecutor role. So you try to go find somebody else. When you are clear about what low drama is, and you can detect when a low drama is being offered to you you won't accept the invitation to join the low drama because it's too expensive. Now, your hungry gremlin might very much want you to. So this is where it's so important to have this working relationship with your gremlin. Your, your hungry gremlin is gonna go, fucking asshole just called me a persecutor and I'm not a persecutor. So I'm gonna take him off the playing board. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bump this guy, you know? You, and you're, so you're looking at your gremlin going, eh, Scar, whatever your gremlin's name is. You know, you know I've got a better job for you. You, gotta, you have to have this working relationship with your gremlin. So he might, you might very much want to, but you don't have to. You can provide food for your gremlin in other ways. And that's kind of why I wanted to start having this conversation is to, so for you to start thinking about other ways to feed your gremlin besides low drama. Because relationship is such an abundant playing field it's for, for low drama. Like we said before, 95% of the relationships that you know are together because of a, a, a it's like a 24 hour, seven day a week, feeding like buffet for both of the participants, gremlins to have anytime they want a feeding frenzy with each other. That's what most, most relationships are a, a gremlin convenience food shop. That's, that's how people are living them out. So, so you just have to know that you have to say, okay, by cultivating a conscious relationship with your gremlin, you can elegantly sidestep low dramas 
the way a bullfighter sidesteps a charging bull. You let the low drama go by without being hooked by its horns. Letting low dramas pass you by without being hooked is called high drama. It's one form of high drama. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. We will get to high drama in a later chapter. Right now, we are still discovering how hungry gremlins periodically change our lovely lives into low drama feeding frenzies. Does anybody want to say anything right now? Any questions or comments right now? All right. As soon as your gremlin has identified another person's gremlin as one that is willing to play the role of persecutor in your gremlin's low drama, then your gremlin is justified in instantly switching roles and taking revenge on the persecutor. Your gremlin becomes the new persecutor and their gremlin becomes the new victim. Then some other hungry gremlin can come along and say, oh, what happened to you? You all right? Oh, poor baby, let me get you some ice to put on your knee. This is the thing about the chair. And some cream and a Band-Aid. How could this happen to you? That's not fair. Who's the evil bastard who put the chair in the way in the first place? And you have another rescuer stepping in and having another feeding frenzy. Now the rescuer has arrived and the low drama is in full action. But the hungry rescuer gremlin can go even further in this low drama. The rescuer can attack the persecutor for hurting the poor victim. That's what I just said. You idiot, that chair doesn't belong here. The rescuing gremlin changes the role from rescuer to persecutor. Dramatic. Um, can you ever put things back where they belong? The persecutor becomes the victim grem gremlin. I didn't know. Nobody told me it was just an accident. I just put the chair there accidentally. The phone rang and I, I had to go answer the phone so the baby didn't wake up. I just forgot to put the chair back. This is so exciting. Low drama is so exciting that it is easy to assume that it's life, but low drama is not life. Low drama is low drama. A gremlin feeding frenzy, actions to avoid responsibility. On and on around the triangle they go, each gremlin taking its turn, playing its favorite roles until the gremlins have had their feast and the low drama comes to a stop. And you go, gosh, what was that? Wonder what that was. Uh, it'll probably not happen anymore. Until the gremlins wake up, you know, hungry again. They go like this, and go. This is this is how it goes. 
video is such an amazing medium, isn't it? Okay. You have to be able to burp on purpose when you're a trainer, though. It's one of the skills you have to learn. Go ahead. Can you do it? How many people can you burp on purpose? <laughs> Thank you. Just checking. So <clears throat> a lot of trainer potential out there. Okay. Low dramas do not end because something has been resolved. Low dramas end because the gremlins have full stomachs and they can't eat anymore and they go to sleep. You may think, hmm, I wonder what that was all about. I mean, think of the, when the Berlin Wall came down. You know, these, these people have been doing low dramas for 18 years or something. How long was the wall up? This is like, they've been doing this low drama so long and then, and then it was over. You know, and then they took the wall down. How did it come down? It was not a resolution of the Congress. It was not a, a mutual, mutually beneficial agreement in the European nations. No, the thing fell down because the, the gremlins were full. That was it. In, so, yeah. So it pays to figure out how to feed gremlins something other than low drama, or the whole world's going to go down and, before the gremlins get full. Okay. Some gremlins have a feeding schedule, one big low drama each month for five or seven days straight. How many people have a, a gremlin like that with a feeding schedule? One low drama a month, five, seven days, one big juicy low drama. All right. Some gremlins eat once a week for one or two whole days. How many people have a, a gremlin like that? Once a week, one or two days, you got some big low drama going on. Okay. Some gremlins feed themselves on one solid low drama every day. Anybody have a gremlin like that? Once a day. It's like once a day, multiple vitamins, but this is once a day, multiple gremlin food. This is like, God, gremlins. And some gremlins are snackers. <laughs> they just go around creating little low dramas here and there with anybody who crosses their path all day long. Anybody have a snacker? What? I'm living with a snacker? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <clears throat> it's just good to know the feeding schedule of your gremlin. Low dramas do not change anything. That is not their purpose. The purpose of low dramas is to feed hungry gremlins. The, the tastiest gremlin foods are innocence, tenderness, vulnerability, joy, success, order, order, love, and trust. These are the tastiest gremlin foods. Each gremlin serves a set of three, four, or five shadow principles, such as betrayal, deception, being right, superiority, manipulation, domination, control, revenge. These are examples of shadow principles. The shadow principles of your gremlin 
are your hidden purpose. It is the purpose that you have when you don't know that you have a purpose. It's your unconscious purpose. If you're not serving a conscious purpose, you're serving the unconscious purpose. So it's what you serve when you're unconsciously feeling. That's what it says. So in a low drum, so let me just say, <clears throat> we, uh, over the years, we've, been, we've developed a, a hidden purpose process. It's the same way we've developed a bright principle distillation process. There's a shadow principle distillation process. It's important to do the bright principle distillation process first. To distill your bright principles, there's a website called Bright Principles and the, the process is on there. And you can pretty much do 80 or 90% of the process alone by yourself. Then you need to get your shadow purpose um, checked. You should get it checked with somebody who's done this a lot before. Can I add something? Yeah. Mm the bright principle process like in sort of contrary to a lot of possibility management process as Clinton said can be done at home like it's on the on the website mm. the the whole the purpose is to distill and then if you want to choose your dis, your bright principles to choose your bright principle is not a light affair it is not oh yeah, I know them, this is kind of cool to be in service of love and healing and community. And um, this is not what this process is about. So I, I, I think maybe most of you have done this process and I feel really glad about that. Um, I recommend to not recommend it lightly to people because they kind of lost. You know, if people are kind of lost and say, oh, why don't you distill your bright principle? That's not what this process is about. Yeah, it's not something to offer at a one-day workshop, for example, because there's no way people can hold it. And then what their mind does is it starts to guard itself against that stuff. So it's it's actually detrimental to try to do it at a one-day workshop. It really needs to be contexted in a bigger context. But it's, in any case, the shadow principle process, we only do that in a five-day lab or a three-day lab environments. It's a four or five hour process. It's loud, it's long, it's difficult. And, but it's so important to do because until you get what you're really up to, you cannot be up to something else. So, and if you're, if you don't know that your, your mission, your secret mission has been to undermine innocence or betray love or um, to, to be to crush uh, anybody who has any skill around you because you have to be the best. Like if you, if you don't know what the purpose is behind, you can't choose not to do it. And that's the value of this. So the thing about low drama is, I'm going back to low drama right now, is that it doesn't matter how right you are or how right you feel. It doesn't matter how justified you feel how loudly you blame someone else or how artfully you complain. It doesn't matter how resentful you are or how clearly you can prove that someone else is wrong. Nothing changes in low drama. The only thing that happens during a low drama is that you get older. 
the procedure for change is taking responsibility, not, not having low drama. The procedure for change is, is responsibility. Low drama is taking actions that avoid responsibility. So it's crucial to disconnect the idea of gremlin from the idea of bad. <clears throat> gremlin is not bad. Gremlin is simply gremlin, irresponsible. The part of each of us that's serving our unconscious purposes to defend our survival strategy. So each of us has, is, has created this survival strategy. We call it the box. And the gremlin is the active part of the box that will do anything to defend your survival strategy. So it has a purpose all the way up till you're 18 years old, at which point it can be initiated. And when your gremlin gets initiated, it changes from the thing that serves irresponsibility to protect your, your own status quo of surviving. It changes into a source of unlimited nonlinear possibility to help you live, to do live, living instead of surviving. So it's a complete pole shift when the initiation is happening. <clears throat> and it doesn't happen in two seconds. It needs, it needs a, a context built up, needs the whole process, it needs processes. And what we're finding out, what we mentioned before, is it needs, we need to decontaminate the adult ego state from gremlin, for example, so that you have an adult ego state and then you have a gremlin ego state. You don't try to get rid of the gremlin ego state. That's not the point. The point is not to get rid of the gremlin ego state. The point is, is to decontaminate the adult ego state from the gremlin ego state and then use the gremlin ego state as a resource consciously. And you need that resource to deliver the, the gifts of your archetypal lineage to your village because your archetypal lineage will ask you to do things that your box can't do and your gremlin can because your gremlin can break any rules at any time for no reason and it can deliver, it can go do what you need to do to talk to people who have more status than you, to talk to people who have less status than you, to make boundaries, to make offers in front of a thousand people on television. Like your gremlin can do all that stuff. So, but your box would freak out What do we need to talk about here? <clears throat> Is anybody, okay, let's see. Ah. Clinton, could you give the examples, the last examples that you shared? Uh, you got muted on my end. The examples of, yeah, what it looks like when it's an archetypal lineage thing, you said what examples? Yeah, it's, it's you really need the resources of your gremlin to deliver your archetypal lineage. You just, and that's what it's for, but it needs to be, goes through this initiatory process. So, so the, the, your, your gremlin can, you could just give your gremlin interesting jobs to do that your box cannot do that your archetypal lineage may need you, I said, to, to talk to, to, you know, to interview or make a proposal to 
a funder, you know, millionaire funder. You may need to go to the board of directors meeting. You may need to go to the town hall and make a proposal that's televised to thousands of people. You know, you may, and your box is just freaking out. You know, your box can't do this kind of thing. But your gremlin has so much inventiveness. It has so much will to just do wild radical stuff. And it's, the thing is, if the gremlin's in charge, it will do its wild radical stuff. And, it, and the purpose that it serves will be its own purpose. And what we're doing is taking that resource and giving it a different purpose, a conscious purpose, a purpose that comes from your archetypal lineage to create possibility and clarity and transformation and love happening and all that. And so your gremlin doesn't really care uh, which purpose it serves. It's, it's actually, in my experience, my gremlin is so much more happy serving conscious purposes than its own purposes. It's bored with its own purposes, just bored. Jeff? Page 84 has a pretty good list of practical applications of gremlin. Okay. I'm going to read this uh, one little part before that. Um, Ingrid, were you saying something? Uh, I, I have a question. Um, uh, is it possible? Is it uh, Yeah. Is it possible to use uh, the service of the gremlin or the the gremlin to serve for bright principles? Here's the thing. It's, it's going to need to be very clear and specific. Like your question is general. See, um, Gremlin isn't interested in serving bright principles. Gremlin is interested in serving you. So you have this working relationship with your Gremlin and it's a part of you. It's a part of, you know, it's a part of you. So it wants to serve you. And when you tell it, when, you know, we're going to serve bright principles, the Gremlin goes, Oh, it's boring, you know. Yeah. So what I could do is, if I want to show myself vulnerable, I could say to my gremlin, yeah. use this formula for, to, for doing that with that pe uh, uh, person, for example. You tell your gremlin, take down the wall. Yeah. You, you can tell your gremlin, navigate to undefendedness with this person right now, drop the defenses. You can take, you know, pull, pull, uh, let's see, go to the most fear of relationship and stay there without blocking me, do that. You can give instruction. These are the kinds of instructions. They have to be very clear and specific and personal. They have to be just precise instructions for your gremlin and he will love this or she will love it. She will go, yes, boss. That's what, it, and it will happen so fast. You'll just be like, wow. And you go sit, sit next to me and don't move. And then, then you're in this, you know, the shield that was around your heart, the thing that was protecting you from vulnerability is completely shattered on the floor. And you get to be connected in this open heartedness that was, that would never, you never got there before because your gremlin had the, was dedicated to keeping the wall up, you know, and it's just a habit. It's just unconscious. It just keeps going. Now you tell your group, take the wall down, take it down, just blow the wall away. And it goes, 
and it's just like that. You know, one of the things I do with my gremlin is I say, help me spot other gremlins. This is an ongoing background job. It's like, tell me what the other gremlins are up to. And don't, you know, don't let us get hooked. So sometimes, sometimes it's weird. Like I have a box and I have my gremlin and the box is dead. It's a machine and the gremlin's alive and it has this volatile forces. And so sometimes people will throw a hook at me or I'll just react and it will be going to push a button on my box. My gremlin won't get hooked, but my box is going to want to get hooked because it's just a mechanical reaction. So I have a running instruction with my gremlin to, to, to not let my box get hooked. It's beneath our dignity to, to let the box get hooked. And the gremlin, he goes, I got it. He goes, I got it. Let's go, you know, we're not letting the fucking machine make us hooked. If anybody's gonna get hooked, it's gonna be me. I go, no. <laughs> so like this, you can have these kind of conversations with your, with your gremlin and work it out. You know, work it out. You know, if your gremlin does a really great job, feed him a donut or, you know, feed him a 200 gram chocolate bar or whatever, you know, it's not time to go to the alcohol bar and get drunk. You know, that's not the thing. You, then you lose and you lose a lot. But there's certain, you know, it's time to watch the next Star Trek issue. You know, the next, you know, whatever, whatever the food is. Okay, we're going online and we're buying, we're buying some more vitamins, okay? Or buying some, uh, some more socks, okay? I have enough socks, ah, but they're small, you know, we're just gonna get some more socks, those colorful socks, you know, whatever the thing is that the gremlin likes to do, you just go, you did such a great job, we're gonna go, it's party time, we're gonna. <laughs> so things like that, yeah. There's a, it's, I don't know where it is in the book. There's this whole procedure for putting your gremlin on a diet. It's a very clear procedure for putting your gremlin on a conscious diet. And so the way you do that is you start off with your beat book again and you make a list of your, the 50 foods that your gremlin loves to eat. So you, you won't believe me at first, but there really are, your gremlin is really eating at least 50 different kinds of things that, can you leave it there? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, gremlin is just like, your gremlin could, he eats by creating this story that your boss is an enemy and has these little confrontations or competition going on with your boss. That's gremlin food. Three ice creams a week, it's gremlin food incessantly talking to fill up empty space with the sound of your own voice is a gremlin food. Staying up till 3 a.m. on trips watching triple X movies or whatever on the TV, that's gremlin food. Not paying your telephone bill until it, it's almost cut off. Okay, then you have this tension, it's gremlin food. Arranging to have fights with your mate as an excuse to throw dishes against the wall, it's gremlin food. Wearing weird clothes, mismatched socks, gremlin food. Behaving insanely to shock people, gremlin food. Drinking Coca-Colas, gremlin food. Complaining to the waiter, gremlin food, et cetera, et cetera. So make your list 
of, you know, self-observe, watch yourself, make your list of the 50 things that your gremlin is actually eating, stealing paper clips, you know, stealing those little pens or sticking chewing gum underneath the table in the restaurant or littering, you know, there's all these things, you know, dropping little bits of paper here and there, like picking your nose and wiping it on somebody else's furniture. I mean, there's all these kind of gremlin little, make your list. You get, once you get 50, at least 50 items, then you can do the next part of the procedure, which is sit down probably with somebody else who's doing the same thing maybe and choose which five of those gremlin foods that you are going to pay the price for your, to allow your gremlin to eat? Which of those, which of those 50? And so you pick five of them and it doesn't matter which five, but remember you have, each one has a price. So you have to pick the ones that you're willing to pay the price of, of it. So, you know, maybe you, maybe, Maybe you keep the stealing pens one. So, or, and maybe you keep the one where, you know, Coca-Cola and, or you, or you no, no Coca-Cola. Okay, right. <laughs> so you pick your five things and then you tell your grandma, okay, dude, I'm going to feed you as many of these things as you can handle once a week, Saturday from nine in the morning till nine at night. You're going to have as many uh, hostess Twinkies as you can eat, you know, and we're going to watch, we're going to watch as many science fiction films as you want. You're going to buy as many uh, books from, from, from Eckhart Tolle, you know, or these, these spiritual books that you, that we know you're not going to read because they're just so boring, but, but I have to have them on my bookshelf. Okay. Okay. You get to do that. You know, <clears throat> so you do that once a week and, and, and you start putting, and you have your gremlin on the feeding schedule. So the thing is, if you get to Friday and, you, and your gremlin knocks you unconscious and you, you eat some things, he eats some things off of, the, off of his list before you get to Saturday. So then Saturday comes and you go, okay, it's gremlin feeding time. And gremlin goes, I'm not so full. I'm not so hungry. I'm full. I'm not so hungry. You feed him anyway. Feed him anyway. And then well, let's say Sunday comes and you forgot to feed him on Saturday. You go, we didn't eat yesterday. You go, yeah, we'll wait till next Saturday. No, no, you know. <clears throat> so you just work this out every Saturday from nine to nine, he gets these five things as much as he can eat. And then what, what happens is he starts getting interested in other food because he knows that he gets this food regularly, the food on the, on the kind of fast food gremlin food list. He gets those regularly every Saturday. So now he's interested in other kinds of food. And so these are the, these are the uh, other kinds of food that you can start feeding your gremlin in a, all week long. And so he starts, the whole diet is changing over from the, low quality unconscious food at a limited way. It changes over to this high quality gremlin food, which um, Jeff, you were just saying there's a list on. What? I mean, it's also on your gremlin. 84. 
page 84 keeps there's a website called yourgremlin.mystrikingly.com that has uh, also ideas on there. A lot of this I, is on there. I think it's probably a, a, a copy paste from the book, what's okay. on the website. So either in the book or the website. Yeah. So, yeah. Clinton, uh, still another question. Do you change from time to time the, the, the gremlin food which you allow, which you allow to your gremlin? Yeah, you could do that. But it's by your choice, not his. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not like, okay, what do you want to eat today? It's not like that at all. It's like you already bought the donuts. You know, they're already there. And you just put them on the table and goes, God, I love donuts. And he just starts munching through. And after seven donuts, he's going, it's time to watch science fiction videos. Okay. So I just want to read this other section here. Contrary. So remember, we're contexting. The scrimmon is a full life deal. But we're contexting the conversation in, in relationship. So kind of keep, keep putting that into mind. You know, there's every time your gremlin makes a little insult or doesn't listen or can't repeat back what, what your partner says. Every time you make a, uh, an insulting comment about the clothes that they're wearing or the food that they just made or the fact that uh, they just interrupted you or you just interrupt them or there's so many ways that Gremlin can, can feed in uh, intimate relationship that that's, what, that's why we're talking about this. Because if you don't make this conscious, it will happen unconsciously. That's the thing. So contrary to what you might expect, you will use gremlin more in high drama than in low drama after you make this shift. In low drama, gremlin is starving. He sneaks around like a ronin. A ronin is a, a, a samurai without a, a king. No, he's not serving a king. So the samurai has all these skills, but there's not serving a master. So your gremlin will sneak around like a ronin, devouring whatever it can steal just to survive. So that's how most people are in the world. This is how Donald Trump is. This is all everybody out there is like that, really just trying to survive. In high drama, the rightful place of gremlin is established, awake, attentive, sitting at the feet of the archetypal man or woman with a short chain around his neck and but completely empowered to take action in your service, to tell you stuff in your service. At first, when discovering the true nature and intention of gremlin, it is quite difficult not to simply de declare with disgust that gremlin is bad and must be imprisoned or banished forever. Such thinking serves the good, bad shadow principle. And we leave you with your gremlin invisibly at work, busily creating his usual unconscious horrors in your life, just like the priests at a parochial school justifying violence and sexual intimacies with the boys in their care. You know, the priests are good, they're in a good, bad paradigm. And of course, they're the good ones. And so they're, they, you know, quote unquote, suppress their gremlin or hold the gremlin to the side 
and it's doing whatever it wants in their name, in the name of the priest. I mean, if you see, if you saw, if you saw the uh, V for Vendetta movie from the Wachowskis, it's a, it's a fantastic demonstration of, of that kind of gremlin at work. I don't know, it's a highly recommended film. It's really, it's pretty intense, the V for Vendetta, but it's, it's required. So I just added the spotlight movie. Okay. <clears throat> oh, okay. So Gremlin is Gremlin. It's not bad. You just really have to get that it's not bad. It's just headed for irresponsibility. We all have Gremlin, and no matter what you think or try to do, Gremlin will never go away. Gremlin is a force, like sulfuric acid, like plastic explosives like a laser beam, like crowbar or lockpicks, neither good nor bad, but definitely capable of producing interesting results. As with all tools, gremlin can be used to fulfill responsible or irresponsible purposes. This is a wild world. It helps immensely to have direct access to an intelligent inner wildness for taking care of yourself and for creating what you want to create. The source of your wild intelligence is your gremlin. <clears throat> Once you take possession of your gremlin, you, take a, you start a working relationship with your gremlin, a source of wild intelligence sits at your feet, at your side, a trained, transformational attack animal, ready to go nonlinear and do what it always does, but doing it as you responsibly and maturely direct it to do. Gremlin is an exceptional tool of nonlinearity. It's particularly suited for creating high drama where only low drama existed before. So it's particularly suited for, for shifting spaces, you know, for confronting unconsciousness and going, grabbing it by the balls and going nonlinear with it. I mean, God, I, you know, I, I've done that so many times with communities, with trainings, you know, and Chloe and I were, were at the Boom Festival. There's 150 to 200 people, mostly on some kind of drugs in a tent who came there to sleep, basically. And we, we took the space and, and shoved it 90 degrees up. And like we put it in a nonlinear direction. And so many people have given us feedback about how spectacular that was. It was the high point of their time at the Boom Festival. And they've been coming to trainings and staying in touch with us and reading Sparks. And really it was, um, but that, that can't happen unless I had my gremlin, you know, at my side, hardly a chain around his neck at all, just going for it as a, as a, wild, as a wild thing. So this is what's possible and this is what we're designed for. <clears throat> so the application of the tool of gremlin is counterintuitive. You use Gremlin's ability to destroy anything at any time for no reason 
as the force to dismantle the mechanicality of your own box, for example, of keeping yourself awake, of keeping yourself on, of keeping yourself from being hooked, from staying unhookable. Gremlin is the only one who knows the secret ways to get through your own defenses. So that's another thing you can use your gremlin for is to catch itself. That was one of the first jobs I gave my gremlin. I said, buddy, nobody's as smart and fast and, and, and ridiculous as you. I need you to catch yourself. Every time you're gonna do something insane or off the wall, catch yourself and tell me first. And he did. And it was just fab. I couldn't believe it. It was so fast. He would tell me before it would happen. I'd go, go ahead. Let's do this. <laughs> and then I would say, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> but I got a choice about it. But I could not have done it without Gremlin helping me. So he helped me catch himself. He helps you get through your own defenses. He's the only one clever enough to free you from being trapped in your own tricks. You know, everybody's got these tricks, you know, and you're pretty good at, at working with people's tricks. You know what I mean? People, people have to have the fork on the left and the spoon on the right, you know, and they have to have their cornflakes before they have their scrambled eggs, you know, and they have, people have all these things. Um, they have to go through the door first or have you go through the door first. Are you, there's all these things that people have. And for People who don't, these are tricks. These are tricks for putting them asleep or making them mechanical. So if you're in a relationship where your interactions are coming from your box, you're, you're basically living in a casket. You know, you're, you're, you're both dead and buried and you're living in a cemetery with two caskets side by side. It's not, not much is happening. So the gremlin is the one who can, get you out of the casket. You can take the nails out so the casket falls apart. You know, there's, there's really, that's what gremlin's for. The first use of gremlin is very exact. Use gremlin to monitor gremlin, to not do the gremlin thing. That's what I was talking about. It takes a thief to catch a thief. Sorry? It takes a thief to catch a thief. And Gremlin is the ultimate thief. Only Gremlin knows exactly how devious, how cunning and shrewd that Gremlin is, and also other Gremlins. Only Gremlin is sensitive and fast enough to catch itself before he steals your dignity with his shenanigans with his fooling around. Conscious use of gremlin involves giving your gremlin productive yet impossible jobs to do. So, and this is on page 80, 85 in my list, but it's, um, yeah, what? That is on the That's it. That was it? It's time. That was it? Unbelievable. We had the, we had the whole uh, internet system collapse. I was off the screen. I moved from one room to the other. We're now on, and Chloe's computer, the, there was, um, this is a hot space tonight. Um, Kremlin is up. Does anybody want to say anything? So I, 
I'll, you know, next week I'm going to jump back to the book, but I really wanted to have us add Gremlin more deeply into the picture of relationship work because without that, just forget it. So please check out the website, yourgremlin.mystrikingly.com and check it out. And um, the list of practical applications of Gremlin is on there and we'll be getting more, more stuff on there. And yeah, Does anybody need anything before we end? for today. Ingrid. I just want to thank you because tomorrow I give my, my uh, I, I, I'm space holder for, the, for, for my first possibility team. Wow. And the theme, I, that it was gremlin, uh, gremlin uh, uh, to feed the gremlin. So you did my whole, <laughs> what I want to do tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Excellent. <laughs> Way to go. That's cool. Way to go. Anybody else anything? Okay. Chapter eight in the same book that you read from today, chapter eight, um, yeah. page 280, um, starts chapter eight and it's distilling your destiny. Uh -huh. So it is the chapter about that. Yes. So we're moving into that in my study group on Friday in the next week or two. Wow, okay. Just wanted to say that. Yeah, thank you. Wow. All right. <clears throat> well, this should be an interesting week. So if you make your list of your personalities, the different eyes and your gremlin foods, it'll be a productive week. All right. Well, take care, you guys, and see you, see you along the way. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Florence, clapping. Who's this guy? Bye-bye.